Well, the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there's none righteous, no, not one. There are none who measure up to God. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The truth is that we're all sinners. We all fall short. There are none who are righteous, having the righteousness of God. But the Bible tells us a great truth. When we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, God gives us His righteousness. We, whoa, we are made perfectly righteous. Romans 4.5 But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, we have God's righteousness deposited to us. We can come before God as a righteous person. This evening, as we look at the passage, Abraham talks to God, and he talks about the coming judgment. There's this judgment coming. And Abraham asked the question. He said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Well, who are the righteous? Righteous are those who are believers, those who have believed, have trusted in God's promise of the Messiah. So when we think of Sodom... We know of at least one righteous person who lived there. We know that Lot was a righteous man. The Bible tells us in the, first, in, in, in the New Testament it actually says that Lot was a righteous man. But we know that he's with, been with Abraham and they split. And, and so the best we can tell is Lot is righteous, that he's a believer. Abraham realizes that God is going to judge Sodom, that believing Lot will be destroyed. will die. And that's why he asked the question. He says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? If we look at this passage, we think about some things. Sin has consequences. A believer is righteous, but can live in unrighteousness. And can live in the midst of unrighteousness. And then believers can make a difference in each other's lives, which we know that. Well, let's begin. Let's remember where we are. God has suddenly appeared. You remember Abraham was sitting out in front of his tent. It was the middle of the day, which was, that means the hot part of the day. They didn't do any work then. He's sitting out in front of his tent. And it says he looked up and suddenly there were three men there. Now, they could see a long way. So he knew something happened. That, that, that while ago he didn't see these men and suddenly there's three men. Well, we know what it is. It's the Lord. It's God. It's Yahweh. It's Y-H-W-H because it's capital O, capital R, capital, you know, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the personal name of God. It's God there with, the best we can tell, it's going to be two angels. And so the Lord appears to Abraham, and he reminds Abraham of his promise, the promise of the covenant. And he told him he's going to have a son. He told him back in chapter 12. He told him in 13. He told him in 15. He told him in 17. Now he tells him again in 18. Last time... He told Abraham that about this time next year, he said, I will come about this time next year, Sarah will have a son, his name will be Isaac. That's laughter. They both had laughed. The first time that God had told Abraham this, or the last time that he told Abraham before this particular incident, Abraham laughed. And now this time he tells it, and, and Sarah laughs to herself. We'll talk about that. And remember that this is an amazing promise, because by the time a year passes, Abraham will be right at 100, and Sarah will be right at 90. Remember what happened. Look at chapter 18. Look at verse 10. God said, He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening to the tent door which was behind them. Now, He said, this is what's going to happen. A year from now, when I come back a year from now, she'll have the son. Notice verse 12. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. She laughed to herself. She didn't laugh out loud. She didn't go, Ha ha! She laughed to herself. She laughed herself. I just laughed to myself. You didn't hear it. Nobody heard it except God. God knows everything. She laughed to herself, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm old? You know, have I, shall I have this pleasure? Verse 14, God says, Wait a minute. 
What is there left? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. The great truth is this, that God always fulfills every promise that he makes because God cannot lie, and he's able to do whatever he promises. And so God makes the promise that next year she will have the son. It's a very powerful truth there. Um, you think of the promises that are in the Scripture for us. Now, not every promise in the Bible applies to us, but the promises in the Bible that do apply to us, you can be guaranteed that whatever God tells you, it's going to happen. Now, they're about to leave. The Lord, and the best we can tell, these are two angels. The, the, the Lord and the angels are about to leave and go to Sodom. And there's going to be judgment. In fact, if you've read chapter 19, some of you are reading on, I mean, I, you know, if you've read chapter 19, you, sees what ha- you, you, sees, you see what happens. They come in there. And the two angels come and they see Lot at the gate. And he takes them into his house. And you realize what happens that night. Let's break down our passage for tonight. We see in verses 16 through 33, first of all, God makes a decision. He's going to tell Abraham what's about to happen. And then we see that the judgment is coming. He's talking about what's going to happen 19 through 22. And then we see Abraham's request and God's answer. And you know, as we start off, Abraham starts and then he keeps asking. And he keeps asking. And he keeps asking. And he figures, I guess if God's going to keep saying yes, I'll keep asking. Let's see what happens. As we look at this next event, we realize how important prayer is. And that we as believers can have an impact. You know, I think one of the things that I, I've got out of this passage is that a small number of believers can have an impact in a community, can have an impact in the world. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. It's a small number. If there would have been ten believers in Sodom and Gomorrah, he would not have destroyed it. Just ten people. Obviously, there wasn't ten there. In fact, next week, when we start looking through this, we'll count how many we think is there. And we'll see what, what it looks like. Well, verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. I mean, this is natural. They've been sitting down to eat. Remember, they were eating. Abraham was standing up by the tree. Uh, the Lord said, where is Sarah? And we talked about this last week. He didn't ask that question because he didn't know where she was. She's in the tent listening. He wants to make sure she's about to hear what he says. So where is Sarah? So she would say, he just used my name. I want to hear what he's going to say. About this time next year I'll return and Sarah will have a son. He just wanted her to know that. Now they're getting up to leave. They've eaten the meal. They've done everything they're supposed to do. Remember we talked about culture-wise. They could have stayed there possibly three days. And he'd take care of them. That was, that was the culture. But the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. Beginning to go that direction, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. We do that sometimes. People come in, you're talking to them, and you're walking with them as they go into their car. You're walking with them as they're leaving. People come in the office. Sometimes I'll walk with them out to the front of the church. I'll just say, hey, what's so, hey, thanks for coming. We do that. We walk with people as they leave. It says that Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Notice verse 17. Then the Lord said, and if you notice, it's capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the personal name of God. So this is Yahweh, YHWH speaking. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now he shows that he has a relationship with Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. 
we realize sometimes that God gives us information that we need to know. Sometimes He doesn't. I mean, we always say, I want to know this, I want to know this. But God says, look, if you really need to know it, I'll tell you. You ever thought about that? We say, God, I want to know, I want to know. He said, you don't need to know. If you needed to know, I'll tell you. So sometimes uh, it's better just to say, I just have to trust you because I guess if I needed to know, you would tell me. Now we're going to see that the purpose of revealing this to Abraham is to show the coming judgment. And I want you to understand something. Realize that divine judgment is not an accident. God doesn't just go, whoa, I, ooh, I just accidentally wiped them out. Sorry. You know, it's not the way it works. When God judges, he knows exactly what he's doing. He does it, and, and, and we're going to see what happens. He, he, Abraham's going to be a great nation. No, notice what he goes on to say. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will be surely become great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the great truth. That goes all the way back to Genesis 12. That's what God already promised him, that in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so God says, shall I hide this from him? Because he's going to be, he's famous. He's going to be, he's not famous right this second, but he's going to be famous. And everybody's going to know about Abraham. And you know, you can go almost all over the world today and you say the name Abraham and a lot of people know who he is, still know who he is. We, as the Bible, we look at it and surely he is. He is a great, became a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the world are blessed through him because the Messiah came through him. And so look what he says. He says he needs to know what's about to happen. Notice, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. He says, now I've chosen him. That's true, he chose Abraham. In a sense, God in his grace and mercy convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and justice. God brings us to himself. If God didn't take the first side of this thing, since all of us like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way, there's none righteous, no, not one, there's not one that seeks after God. If God doesn't draw us to himself, nobody would ever come to God. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says, I've chosen him. I've chosen him to be the man in which the nation of Israel is going to come, in which the Messiah is going to come. I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him. To do what? To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. He says, I'm going to tell him this because the emphasis is he needs to make sure he and his family do righteous and justice. Do righteousness and justice. Why? Because I'm fixing to go destroy people who aren't righteous. It is important that we as believers live how? Righteously. Because what we realize this is that God judges unrighteousness. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall also reap. He who sows of the flesh shall reap of the flesh. What? Corruption. He who sows of the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit eternal life. God judges sin. That's what it boils down to. He says, I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham all that he's spoken to him. He says, I want him to live in such a way so that I'm going to bless him and do the things that I've promised that I would do. The, re- the key of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they had rejected the truth of God and his word. They were doing things totally contrary to what God had said. Abraham was to communicate to his family and the nations. Listen, in the future, when somebody said, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? What happened down there? Is Abraham going to go, I, I have no idea. I, it was one day a whole bunch of stuff ran down and killed all those people. 
No, he wants Abraham to know and to be able to tell his family and the nations why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed because of their what? Their sin. He wants him to know about it. He didn't want to leave and Abraham one day look up and say, there's a bunch of smoke coming up from down there. I wonder what happened. And he goes on one of his camels down there and he finds out that the whole place is destroyed and never knows what happened. Now God said, no, no, I want you to know what happened so that you can teach your family and you can teach the nations and the world. Next week, when we get to... Well, I think maybe next week or two weeks from tonight when we... When we show the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he rained down fire and brimstone on them. And I was in Israel in 1976, and we went down in that part of the, of the world. And in that section, it's still barren. There's nothing there. Except there's all these little rocks that look like volcanic rock. And they call them brimstone. I've got one in my office. I'll bring it. And it's rocks that everybody said, we don't know where this came from. There's not a volcano around here that this could come from. Where do you think it came from? I think it came from out of the sky. I think it came from God. There's a great truth. When we obey, there's blessing. And when we disobey, there's judgment. Look what he goes on to say. And the Lord said, verse 20, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is exceeding is, is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, do you think he knows already? Let me ask you a question. Who is talking? L-O-R-D? Capitals? Who is it? It's God. Do you think he knows? Do you think he knows what they're doing? Why do you think he's saying, I'm going to go down there and check it out? Because he wants people, he wants everybody to realize that he's not arbitrarily doing this. He knows exactly what is going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's going to deal with it. I will go down now and see if they've done entirely according to this outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Sin is bad. It's horrible. Sin is rebellion against God. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray our own way. Every essence, every essence of sin is going our own way. If the world or in a world governed by the sovereign creator, this is rebellion and called sin. Arthur W. Pink said this. He said, you know, we must be impressed by God's hatred of sin. We are sometimes prone to treat it lightly, but God never does. I mean, sometimes do we sin and think like it's no big deal? I've done this a hundred times, right? What's 101? It's no big deal, is it? Does God really care when we disobey? Oh, He loves me. Remember this morning, He never changes His love, right? Love's never going to change. It doesn't matter whether I sin. I could go ahead and sin because God's love's not going to change. Is that the way we should think about it? No, I don't think so. James Edwards wrote an article in Christianity Today, and here's what he said. We do not want God to make demands on us or pry into our affairs. We want Him to be there when we need Him, but otherwise, leave us to ourselves. You know, the uh, omnipresence of God is great, isn't it? Isn't it great? When you need Him, He's always there, right? When you want to sin, He's always there. It's not so great right then, is it? It's really great when I need him, but it's not so great when I don't need him. 
or I think I don't need him. The sin of the people in Sodom has gone up to God. He's using what we call anthropomorphic terms to say, it's come up to me, I'm going to go down there and check it out. What was their sin? He said, um, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is exceedingly great. It's it's indeed great, and, and their sin is exceedingly grave. What did they do? What was so bad? Well, you know what it was. If you go over to chapter 19, part of it's homosexuality. What they were doing. Pride, perversion, homosexuality. When God said this, Abraham thinks of the people there. And he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I just realized this. Nephew, Lot is there. My nephew Lot is there. Do you realize that at one time God used Abraham to rescue these people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember when the three kings came against the five, four kings against the five kings and the battle came and the, those kings took them all and took them off and Abraham took 318 of his men and he took Mamre and some of those other guys and they all went and in God's power they whipped them and brought them all back and not a single person was killed. Not a single loss of life. And they came back, and the king of Sodom said, You have saved us here. You get to keep all the money. And and Abraham said, I'm not taking one thing from you because I don't want anybody to ever say, You made me rich. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But God used Abraham to deliver these people. God is not going to deliver these people anymore. God is not going to deliver these people. Well, Abraham says, wait a minute, whoa, 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 my, my nephew is there, my nephew is there, Lot is there, Lot, his family's there, I know him, I know the kids, I know the two daughters. Very sweet girls, or shall we should say, do you think, let me ask you a question, do you think Lot living in Sodom had any effect on him and his family? Do you think living in a place where it's unrighteous, and, and, and living and around and, and, and being connected with things that are wrong and bad and, and all that. you think that affects you in any way, shape, or form? Do you think who you hang around with helps you and hurts you? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You hang around a scoundrel, you know what you're going to become? A scoundrel. You're hanging around with somebody who's on fire for Christ, you know what you're going to become? On fire for Christ. I'm going to tell you that Lot and his daughters and his wife... They're not model citizens. They've adapted to the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll see it. We'll see it in a couple of weeks. Well, Abraham says, wait, 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 wait. I've got to think about this. i got to think about this. i got to ask God a question. Verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went down towards Sodom. You know who's going to go to Sodom? The two angels are going. The two angels are going. While Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham's standing talking to God. The two angels are going on down there. So what's Abraham going to do? He's going to make intercession. Intercessory prayer. And here's his question. You going to kill the righteous with the wicked? There's an assumption there that there are some righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. Does Abraham know that there's some righteous there? Who's there? He lots there. He knows at least one. He probably figures the kids. Maybe the wife. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That's a pretty strong statement. Will you kill 
the righteous with the wicked. You know, he's actually almost challenging God. He's saying, you said you're going to look at the city and destroy it. You're going to kill the righteous people with the wicked people? Now let me stop for just a second and remind you the truth. How do we get righteousness? Because there were people who were righteous in the city. The best we can tell. We know a lot was, how do you get righteousness? Well, that's right. By faith. Go ahead and turn to the next slide. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ. In the Old Testament, it's by faith in the Messiah. Romans 4, 5, to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Philippians 3, 9, and being found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which comes by the basis of faith. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, God credits to your account, puts in your account His perfect righteousness. Therefore, every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ as Savior positionally, we are perfectly righteous. Therefore, we can be in the relationship and fellowship with God. We're perfectly righteous. That's our position. See, what do you get by faith? You get eternal life by faith. John, Go ahead, I'm sorry, go back. You get eternal life by faith. You get righteousness by faith. You get forgiveness by faith. John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, what, believes, that's faith, will not perish but have eternal life. We just quoted the verse, Romans 4.5, you get righteousness by faith. Acts 13.38 and 10.43, you get forgiveness. Of Him all the prophets bear witness that in His name everyone who believes in Him receives the forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.43. That's why it doesn't matter whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. Salvation is always the same. It's always by faith. And when a person believes by faith, they get the righteousness of God. That's why Abraham could say, you're going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked there because a righteous person was the believer. Again, verse 23, Abraham came near and said, came near. He, he got closer to God. Remember the Lord was walking away. Got, Abraham comes up, wait a minute, i got a question for you. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then he raises his big question. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? You know what his question is? Would you let the city keep going if, they could, if you would find 50 righteous people? Would you not destroy it if there were 50 believers? How big do you think Sodom and Gomorrah were? Those towns. I don't know. We, we, we can't tell. We don't know a whole lot about it. But some estimate that they, they could have been as small as five to 6,000 apiece or, or maybe bigger than that. Let's just say they're small cities, five to 6,000 apiece. So we got 10,000 people. He says, would you let the city still exist if you could find 50 out of 10,000? Far free it. Look, look what he says. Far be it for you to do such a thing. Whoa. Abraham, you might have take a step back, buddy, because when you start telling God what he's supposed to do and not supposed to do, far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, you sh shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Where did God ever say that sometimes believers don't is it not possible that believers would sometimes suffer because of the sin of unbelievers? Does that ever happen? Happens all the time, doesn't it? 
We know something happens to somebody because some unbeliever ran into their car or shot them or, or ran over them or did something, and we say, well, that person was... What a terrible accident. What a terrible thing. Yes. Okay. There's a, a, a man in our church, um, Glenn Miller. His daughter is in a church this morning in Illinois. And a man came into the church this morning while she's in the service and kills the pastor and five other people this morning in her church. He called me as he was leaving the church service this morning. Glenn says, J.B., I got a text message from my, my daughter. And this is what happened. He told me as he was going out the door this morning. Bad things happen. So when Abraham says, no, 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 you, 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 you have to do what's right. You can't destroy righteous with wicked. Is it possible sometime that righteous suffer because of the wicked? Yes. But look how God answers this thing. Won't you do what's right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. Let's just say that Sodom has 6,000 people in it. Small place. 50 out of 6,000. If I can find 50 out of 6,000, guess what I'll do? I won't destroy it. What would you do if you had Abraham right then? You might say, thank you. But you know what he knows? What do you think he knows? There probably ain't 50 people there. That are righteous. He knows Lot's there. He knows Lot's wife's there. He knows Lot's two daughters are there. There's four. Surely there's somebody else, he thinks. But we're only down to 50. So what's he going to say? Then Abraham replied, "Now, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I'm but dust and ashes. You know what he's saying? I don't even have the right to talk to you. But I'm going to ask you another question. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? What what if there's only 45 in there? What if the 50 is lacking five and there's only 45 righteous people? Will you destroy the whole city because of that? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Wow, we're down to 45. What do you think Abraham thinks? I don't think there's 45. So here's what I'm going to do. He said to him yet again, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I'll not do it on account of the 40. Well, we got down to 40. Should have gone faster, maybe. Maybe should have just said, how about 25? How about 15? I mean, whatever. But he's, he's down to 40. Oh, God knows everything. Oh, sure. He's, why is he doing this? Why is God allowing Abraham to do this? He, what does he want to see from Abraham? Well, he wants to see his intercession. He wants to see his love for these people. He wants to see what Abraham thinks about people and what's going to happen there. Because see, what we're seeing is that Abraham is making intercession for others. Huh? Keep on asking. Well, Abraham, I don't think Abraham thought that. And I think that that even if we know that God's going to do what he wants to do, 
figured in to God doing what He wants to do is Him using us to do what He wants us to do. Well, but but he, I don't always call prayer manipulation in that sense. I see what you're saying because it is true that God is a sovereign God. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. But His will figures your prayer in there, I think. And I think God's will in this figures Abraham's intercession and prayer in there, so to speak. So what do we got it down to? No, we got it down to 40, don't we? Did we get, or did we get more than 40? I thought we, we got it to 40. Well, look at verse 30. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. <laughs> Let me try again. I shall, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he's making bigger groups this time. He's knocking 10 off. And he said, I'll not do it if I find 30. And he said, Now behold, I venture to speak to the Lord. Let me try again. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it on account of the 20. What is God telling us? It doesn't take a whole lot of believers to influence the community, to influence the world. God, you know, God cares about people. God cares about His people. Verse 32. Then He said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. I shall speak only this once. This is my last shot. Suppose ten are found there. You know what He thinks? There may be what? There may be ten. Because you know there's Lot and his wife and the two daughters and the two daughters, best we know, are engaged to be married. So there's... Two more there, so that's up to six. And who knows if they've got some friends? Maybe they got some friends that they're married. That's eight, and maybe those friends have some kids. Who knows? There may be ten there. There may be ten there. So what if we could just get it? What about ten? Let's say ten out of six thousand. That's a pretty low percentage, isn't it? What does God say? Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be here. Shall I speak only this once? Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. Realize the influence a small minority of believers can have. He's going to save the entire city. And not only the city of Sodom, but the city of Gomorrah and the cities in that little region. Because when we get over there to chapter 19, we're going to find out it's not just one city. If there were ten believers, he wouldn't bring judgment. I have people come up all the time and they say, wonder why God hadn't judged America. Why do you think he hadn't judged America? Huh? Yeah, yeah. why why hasn't he judged us? Because he could wipe us off, right? But he hadn't. Wonder why? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, but, but we're thinking more of the fact that there's believers in this country. In fact, there seem to be a lot of believers in the United States. That doesn't mean we're living righteously. When they do all the polls and they ask the questions, first of all, they ask, do you believe in God? 95% of the people in the United States believe in God. And then they get right down to it and say, do you believe? Some of the polls ask it vaguely and some ask it good. Some ask it, do you believe in Jesus Christ as, a, as your Savior and you've trusted in Him. There's 65% of the people in America say yes. Well, 65% of the people is not a minority. Why do you, they have bad 
the bad people? How do what? And we the good people. <laughs> Are we the good people and they the bad people? Is that right? You're right, Hazel. I don't think we will be able to. You can, yeah, there we go. Abraham's intercession. What do we see? We see God's grace. Do you pray for some of the things that are happening in this country? Lord, please help them do this. We can see the influence that believers can have in the world. It's pretty powerful. Well, watch what happens. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Where did the Lord go? He didn't go to Sodom. Because the two angels go down there. That's what we're going to find. Does the Lord already know exactly what's going to happen? Let me ask you a question. Does the Lord know if there's ten or not there? He didn't tell Abraham, did he? What do you think Abraham thinks? How's Abraham going to know? He's going to get up, and he's going to walk out there, and he's going to see if there's any smoke coming up. That's what's going to happen. Why did God say in uh, 21, I will go down now, but he doesn't end up going? Well, I think that's an anthropomorphism of saying, I'm sending my angels, I'm sending my representatives to do this. That's what I think he's doing. Righteousness exalts and unrighteousness brings down. You and I can see the, the wickedness the removal of God, the disdain of God, even our country. Why isn't God justice? Well, maybe the righteous make a difference at least for a while. What have we seen? God tells Abraham of the sin of Sodom, and he talks about there's judgment coming. Obedience brings blessing, uh, sin brings judgment. Abraham makes his intercession, and he gets it all the way down. If there's ten righteous people, I will not destroy the city. And we already know what's going to happen, because we read ahead. So there wasn't ten righteous people in that place. You know, it amazes me that when, and we'll see this next time, and I'll, I'll, you know, when God comes in there, and when the angels come in there and they tell Lot and his family to get out, they don't want to leave. They really don't want to leave. And when it's time for them to get out, they just kind of stand around, and the angels have to get out, and they take them by the hand and lead them out of the city. And what happens to Lot's wife? Why does she look back? What does it mean? Does it mean she just went, whoops, you think that was it? You think she just accidentally looked back? Do you think looking back, like just running and looking back, making sure, you think that's what caused it? Uh-uh. We'll talk about it. I think she wanted to go back. I don't think she wanted to leave. I mean, she was head of the social club. All right? She had stuff to do there. She had some parties. She had things to do. Applications very quickly. Realize that believers can make a difference. That we can make a difference. Really, I think three things that we got there. That it's salt and light in the community, intercession, and we delay judgment. Number one, let's put it, let's look at the salt and the light. We realize we are salt and light in the community. By our words, by our message, by our deeds, by our lifestyle, in our areas of work, at school, and business, and recreation, we make a difference by how we live. Uh, the second thing is intercession. As we pray for others, uh, that's what Abraham was doing. He was praying that God wouldn't judge those people. Do we pray for others? 
the third thing is, is the delayed judgment. S. Lewis Johnson said, It is remarkable how much ungodly men owe to the presence of the saints in their midst and how little they realize it. We can make a difference. Number two, righteousness comes by faith. Always. That's the way it is. Whoever believes has the righteousness of God. Romans 4, 5 is a great verse. If you don't, if you haven't memorized that verse, you ought to. Because it's so powerful to tell you that you got God's righteousness. And then the third thing, very quickly, is realize that sin brings consequences. Whatever you reap, you sow. It takes us further, costs us more, and affects us. And affects others as well. Your sin is never in a vacuum. It doesn't just affect you. It always is going to take you further and cost you more than you realize. May we realize that our intercessor, that by intercession we can have an impact in our world. We who are righteous by faith know that sin has consequences. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, help us to, to realize that as believers we can make a difference. We can be the salt and the light of the community. We can make intercession. We can even bring a, a delay the judgment, Lord, just because of, of, of being righteous people in a fallen world. Lord, thank you that we, we are righteous because we believe. Righteousness comes simply by faith. Thank you, Lord. And we realize that uh, sin brings consequences. It has consequences. And uh, we see it even as what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Lord, thank you for the passage tonight. Uh, may, we, may we grow in our grace and knowledge. May we grow in our application. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.